1: 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au.
0: Former Chief Inspector Gary Raymond, who served with the New South Wales Police Force. His biography is called Top Cop. It captures the essence of police life. In fact, there's a Top Cop 2 that's been released earlier this year. Now, Gary Raymond, he's a guy who's seen it all when it comes to policing in Australia. He was one of the officers at the scene of the John Newman political assassination. He was present when the killers of Anita Carby were tracked down. He was also there at the Granville train wreck and rescued people from the debris. His uh, life is just dotted with times when he's put his own life on the line in the service and protection of others, and his rugged and tenacious faith in God shines through. Well, do police in Australia get a bad rap? You might like to make your contribution to our conversation today as we talk with our special guest, former Chief Inspector Gary Raymond. Gary, welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Well Gary, great to talk to you and we did have a conversation some time back and uh, I remember it was just a short one and I said we'll need to get a longer opportunity to have a chat and hear some of the stories that you can talk about, those things that you've been involved in Gary, so uh, really appreciate the opportunity to have an opportunity today to, uh, uh, to uh, have a longer conversation.
2: Thank you, yeah, it's a, it's a real honour.
0: Gary, quickly before we get into uh, some of the issues and talk about some of those milestones, uh, tell me about the book Top Cop and now Top Cop 2. How are they going uh, in sales and uh, how do people receive those books?
2: Going really well. Kurong stocks them and uh, the money we're raising from the sales is going to suicide prevention because we reckon as Christians uh, that if we can save people's lives then they've got a chance, firstly, well, to commit themselves to Christ and then, secondly, to make an incredible impact uh, in the community for Christ.
0: Now, this issue of suicide prevention, uh, in your retirement years, uh, you haven't hung up the gloves insofar as you're still involved in a lot of good work in the community and it's primarily through the Salvation Army, but you're doing all sorts of uh, uh, suicide prevention uh, classes and seminars. Uh, How are those going?
2: Yeah, Neil, um, where it all started really was I was an ambulance paramedic before I joined the police and uh, as an ambulance officer you're dealing with depressed people and those in anxiety states who are suicidal and so we were taught to deal with them and when I came into police rescue I joined that team that we specialised in suicide crisis negotiation and that is people threatening to jump off buildings, bridges, towers, cliffs, and uh, I learned those skills on how to talk people back from ending their lives, and it's been amazing the way God's used me in that way. And from there, it flow, flows on, of course, to three things that I do is suicide prevention. And uh, we've got to keep in mind too, Neil, that there's more people who will die by suicide today in Australia than killed in road crashes. And uh, that goes to uh, overall for the year is more people suicide per year in Australia than are killed in road crashes. And so it's a huge problem. And But just imagine all the money we put into road crash and road safety. How much do we, education and finance, do we put into suicide prevention? Not too much at the moment. We're hoping that'll change. The second area that I deal with is exactly what I did in police rescue, that's suicide crisis negotiation teach people what to do uh, if someone is suicidal right in front of you right now and of course the third workshop is what we call suicide post that's the issues of those left behind after a suicide and the devastation and 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 the absolute heartache and emptiness of those left behind so we we deal in those three things and uh Keep in mind, too, I don't know if your listeners realise this, but that more police officers throughout the world are killed by suicide, their own hand, than killed by an offender. Mm.
0: Well, there's some tough issues in those you have just raised, and our listeners might like to contribute to our conversation, or you might have a... Question for former Chief Inspector Gary Raymond as we continue our conversation this hour. A talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Let me just uh, come back to uh, one of those issues you just raised, Gary, and we'll we'll get on to police and uh, committing suicide uh, in just a few moments. But that whole uh, issue that so many police have to do, and I guess they need to be specially trained to do it, uh, you know, when that... A door knock comes in the middle of the night and uh, and a couple of police officers are at your door and, uh, and they've usually got bad news. I'm sure you've arrived on many a doorstep, knocked on many a door and uh, had to deal with uh, the breaking of bad news. Uh, that's one of the things that police are in the middle of all the time, aren't they?
2: Yeah, look, you do. And often I've uh, stopped in the police car just down the road to, I guess you could say, gather myself before going walking up the driveway and sometimes it's late at night or early hours in the morning and and people are awoken with a knock on the door from a police officer and and even some of your listeners might be flashing back now to an occasion when that happened to them. And I remember one time a young fellow, only, only about 14 sadly, um, hung himself out of a tree in a park. He'd had a few drinks and his girlfriend had broken up with him and he was just went into a depression and I knocked on the door and um, this fairly big fellow came to the door and, and I said, may I come in, please? And his wife came out and uh, we sat down he said, this is about my son, isn't it? I said, yes, sir, it is. And he said, he's dead, isn't he? I said, sir, I'm so sorry to tell you, yes, he is. And I said, we need formal identification, but we believe in the evidence already from some preliminary organi- um, identification that he it's him. And he said, and I, I, I'll quote what he said. He said, I told him not to bloody touch those drugs. <laughs> and I said, sir, he didn't die of a drug overdose. He said, don't tell him he was driving a car. I said, no, sir, he wasn't driving a car. He said, did you get, and I quote again, Neil, excuse me, and he said, did you get the bastard that killed him? Was he murdered? I said no sir he wasn't murdered at all. He said what happened to him? I said sir he suicided he hung himself from a tree in a park not far from here. He just stared at me and then he got off the lounge and he walked over to me grabbed I had my police leather jacket on my uniform leather jacket he grabbed it and he pulled me up literally off the lounge and shook me and he said to me inspector you come here don't tell me you tell me my son died of an overdose or killed in a car crash or was murdered, he said, don't you tell me my son suicided. And of course then I just got hold of him, pulled him in towards me and cuddled him and we both cried together and I just indicated to his wife to get off the lounge and join us. She stood up and the three of us were just cuddling and crying and with that I just prayed and I just prayed that God would show them through this enormous shock and dis- disbelief and denial and devastation of the loss of their son, that in this that God would be seen as the comforter by his Holy Spirit. And um, as we sat down and um, then discussed it further, and I, I took him down to the city morgue where they both identified their son and I prayed with them further. We were looking through the window at the morgue of his lifeless body and I prayed with them there and came home, stayed there for quite a while till friends and relatives came over. And so, yes, it's still a very hard thing for people to talk about, but we've got to talk about it. It's got to come out and it's got to be dealt with.
0: Gary, tell me about being a Christian and being a police officer, because when you're there in that sort of environment and you've had to break that sort of news, and uh, you can say a Quiet prayer uh, you also uh, throughout your career have whispered those uh, quiet prayers and words of encouragement into the ears of people. Uh, I, I wonder uh, how many uh, police officers have a deep Christian faith where they are able to share those moments of comfort and hope uh, that come with a whispered prayer uh, but uh, it's something that you've done many many a time.
2: Yeah look someone said me the other day um, <clears throat> oh you're a uh, you know, a, a police officer who was a Christian. And I said, no, I was a Christian who was called to be a police officer. And I considered myself as a minister, pastor, you know, Salvation Army officer. And my my corps or my, my parish, if you like, or whatever name you put to it, was my police patrol. And my office was my police vehicle. And so I considered myself as a... You know, And we read in God's Word, of course, where we're ambassadors of Christ, and that is we've come from our homeland, really, which is with Christ, to be here on earth as an ambassador, to give his views, if you like, in a foreign land and, um, and, and take his instructions and his policies, or in other words, his word. And so what I used to do was to patrol around and then know that the opportunity would arise. For example, I um, remember when I was working at Cabramatta, about three in the morning, I saw one of the drug dealers, a Cambodian fellow, and uh, snuck up on him and grabbed him put him on the bonnet of the car, handcuffed him up, searched him for weapons and drugs. He was clean, so I took the cuffs off him. And then I prayed with him. And he looked at me and said, why did you do that? I said, well, because Jesus, in his plan, has had me encounter you. And he wants you to know that he loves you. And this is not his plan for your life. And he's forgiven you already on the cross. You need to just submit to him and surrender to him. Um, And that was sowing a lot of seed there, of course. But another time, and well, not another time, many times, when I was in police rescue, I was in police rescue 10 years. And the records show that I did over 1,500 rescues a thousand of those were car crash wrecks where people were trapped, and 200 of those were suicide crisis negotiations, talking people down from jumping. And 200 were vertical rescues, like cliff rescues or going into tunnels or mines or wells, and you know up towers and cliffs and buildings, construction sites. So whenever I reached someone, I'd continue doing my rescue work. And I'd just whisper a prayer as I was doing. For example, I remember there was a car upside down, a fellow hanging in the seat belt quite seriously injured but uh, conscious. and as I was putting on his cervical collar to immobilize his cervical spine before we put him, strapped him on a board to lower him down, I was praying just into his ear as I was putting the collar on and asking him to acknowledge Jesus in this situation. So you can be a Christian and a rescuer or a tough cop at the same time. They actually go together.
0: They do go together. And inviting our listeners to be part of our conversation today, and uh, our conversation could go anywhere uh, insofar as uh, you might have a question, you might have a comment about Australian police work, Uh, You might like to offer your own comments. Do police in Australia get a bad rap? What are your thoughts on Australian police? Does policing and Christian faith... Make a good match, you might have your own thoughts to offer. Does your church pray for police and emergency services regularly? And do police in your community receive appropriate respect? Well, our talkback line open on one 316 Let's take a call, Gary. This is Erica from Mount Nathan in Queensland. Hello, Erica. Welcome along to 2020. Thank you. I Erica, what are your thoughts?
3: I appreciate your interviews, especially today's as my husband works in defense, as a chaplain. And my question to you, sir, is, how do you deal, say, years down the track, with a flashback of a trauma um, that might later on be of particular significance, like when you have grandchildren and you, you know, have a flashback, perhaps, of a drowned child how do you deal with that?
2: Look, Erica, you're right. It's, um, there's two things that we've got in our lives. One is memories, and it might be, uh, oh, yes, I, I went to Christmas Day with all the kids and had a great time, and they laughed, and they had a great time in their presence. That's a memory. Then we have a flashback, which is generally a fairly intrusive memory of a traumatic event. That triggers our brain chemistry which triggers our body chemistry and you can actually sometimes erica get the same responses years down the track that you felt at the time or shortly after the trauma they're flashbacks the first thing we've got to remember erica is memories are tattooed chemically on our brains so we when people say to you you know uh, oh forget it that's impossible the memory's always there, but our mind acts like a filing cabinet and it just stores our memories there. And like even today, and you're dead set right, Erica, um, being the wife of a defence chaplain, the things that that you see often. and As a cop, many people said to me, oh, you must see some terrible things sometimes. Look, you do, but not all the time. Most of it's fairly routine days and it's not impacting in that way, but Yeah, sure, we see some horrible things on some occasions and so do our Defence Force personnel. But guess what, Erica? No-one's very rarely said to me, Gary, what about the sounds you hear as a police officer? Or not only the sounds, but the silences where you go to a bedroom or, or an industrial site or a car overturned where there should be sounds and there's no sounds because the silence tells you that someone's lost their life. Mm. No one ever says to you, oh, what about the smells? Mm. You know, what about the things you touch with your hands or the things that touch you? And for police and defence, there's that extra cloud over us, which is people trying to kill us or Mm. or hurt us. That's called the sensory stimuli. Now, they're very, very um, strong in flashbacks. You flashback the sensory stimuli or a place, a smell you know, it might be an item uh, that you flash back and what it does, it reminds you of the trauma and you have a response and that dealing with that memory, the trauma's over, but dealing with that memory is what we do, Erica and uh so what you do to do that is number one, as a Christian, I I believe that when, when Jesus, you know, says that he can by his Holy Spirit be the comforter and the helper I firmly believe that if he says that, then it's true. So I take everything to him in prayer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you go to the GP, doctor, he or she might say, Oh, listen, um, Erica, I'm not sure what that is. I'm going to refer you to a specialist. And they write out a referral and off you go. Someone who knows exactly what that pain means. Prayer is referring yourself as the GP, if you like, to the specialist and that's what I've done firstly always refer to the specialist secondly I've shared with other Christians and get them to pray for me yeah. shared openly and honestly with them and get them to pray with me and thirdly I've looked after myself as in physically emotionally and make sure that your lifestyle's okay and make sure that you've got all those things around you to surround you you still remember it, and you still have those responses, but guess what? Its effect on you, its sting, its poison gets less and less and less as your trust in Christ gets more and more and more.
0: Erica from Mount Nathan in Queensland, certainly appreciate you taking that time and giving us a call today here on 2020. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. It's Neil with you, former Chief Inspector Gary Raymond, our guest. If you'd like to join our conversation, 1-800-316-316. Gary, let's take another call. Ross is in Hamilton in Victoria. Hello, Ross. Welcome along to 2020. Thank you. Ross, what are your thoughts or do you have a question?
4: Um, no, just a, a little bit of a testimony. Um, it's Ross here from Hamilton here, Gary. Um, Hello, mate. Good you mentioned in the story earlier about getting that knock on the door. Um, several years ago, I used to play baseball and I'd hit my first home run ever and I was in the late 20s, hit my first home run ever and when I got to home plate, there's two policemen standing there with the coach and I wasn't too sure what was going on. The mind was trying to run around what I'd done wrong and... Um, and they informed me that my father had taken his own life. And mm. and that was very difficult to, to deal with because, um, in fact, my father had terminal cancer and two weeks before that he told me that that's what he was going to do. But I didn't know how to deal with that at the time. I wasn't a Christian. I didn't know whether I believed him or not. Um, and through my life I've had five uh, friends commit suicide and well through all that is what led me to doing the first responders course with you and I just thoroughly recommend to anyone that's got a heart for humanity to do a course like that. Um because since then I've found myself in numerous situations where just a simple help, hello, how are you? Um can I meet up with a coffee for you know tomorrow? Um, because I found one of the most important things is to just buy that person a little bit of time and by making a, a date with them uh, the next day or something like that, could possibly postpone the inevitable suicide. Um, what's your thoughts on that, Gary?
2: Look, spot on, Ross. Firstly, so sorry about your dad, mate. And I know that um, some people, when they lose hope and and they just see no end to their their lives, and they, they need help, but they can't accept help, and they get to that point. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, Ross, that the research shows that the majority of suicidal people don't want to die, but they want to escape from yes. pain and anguish and something that's confronting them and hurting them. They just can't face. So I was negotiating with a... A young lady who was standing on the edge of a skyscraper roof in the city of Sydney, and um, she's crying, and I'm pleading with her not to to jump. As part of our protocol, is pleading with people with their hearts, you know. And uh, she turned around, and she said, "Look," she said, "my life's like a burning building, you know. I can't go back there. I can't go back there. But I don't want to die. But there's, you know, my choice is either one or the two, and death seems to be." more comfort to me than my life and I said to her I said, what if I told you that myself with Jesus' help can put the fire out so you can come back into the building yeah, it's good. I said it might be a wrecked building but we'll come back and we'll re- rebuild it with God's help she stared at me she came back from the edge and cuddled me and cried she said please please help me put the fire out God please help me and with that, I had a word of prayer with her there, and then we retrieved her to the ambulance and took her to hospital, of course, for assessment. But a lot of people go into depression, loss and anxiety, and they sort of lose hope. And um, it's, I'm so glad, mate, as a result of that, you're reaching out to others. That's the message is for people to learn how to be suicide aware. And we say in, in the police and, and, and other places that, The first thing you notice really is they talk about signs and symptoms and the behaviour of people who are suicidal. That's important to learn that. But coming right back, the latest research shows that if we look for a depressive loss or change in somebody's life, that's the first indicator of a risk. And they mightn't go through to have suicide thoughts or take action to plan. I'll give an example. Um, If if you had a mate, Ross, or I had a mate yes. who said, I said, Oh, how are you going? Oh, not too good. Oh, why is that? Oh, my wife left me yesterday. Oh, how do you feel about that? Shocking, devastated. Fairly soon, in that conversation, I would ask that mate, Listen, mate, in this depression, are you suicidal at all?
4: And yeah, right and
2: yeah, give them a chance. Oh, here's someone knows what I'm feeling and thinking yeah. they're open and honest. and you know what Ross and, and our listeners too we've added to that the next question we ask too is hey listen mate in this depression are you homicidal? Because suicidal people can become homicidal and homicidal people can become suicidal we see that every day yeah. family violence violence in workplaces and suicide bombers with terrorism and others so Then we go and ask them about their plan, how, when, where and why. And then, as you rightly said, Roscoe, good on you, mate. Look for support for them, negotiate support. If they're very upset, ring the ambulance. They'll assess them. If they're violent and threatening everybody and damaging property or threatening with weapons, triple zero and get your police there immediately. But otherwise, as you said, make an appointment with them ahead, a contract not to suicide and a promise not to do it and to meet you for coffee and, and then work out what you're going to do. So well done, Ross.
0: Ross from Hamilton in Victoria. Ross, thanks so much for calling in and uh, sharing your own heart with us. And, uh, and one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 316 if you'd like to be part of our conversation today, our special guest is former Chief Inspector Gary Raymond. Gary, just to pick up on something that Ross said there, it was as a result of going through his own crisis there that he actually decided to become a a first responder or uh, someone who could, uh, who could respond in a crisis as well. Is this, you know, Sometimes it, it, as a Christian in church life we think we're only going to be serving in some of the ministries within the local church but, but these are really, very really powerful callings that people have to be able to uh, take part in this sort of response.
2: It's quite amazing um, Neil that a lot of people learn uh, first aid. In other words, CPR and how to deal with burns and bleeding and, and a whole other range of medical emergencies. People learn, and there's big campaigns on on how to not take, you know, or use drugs, unlawful drugs. There's big campaigns on how to drive and how to obey the road rules. and But there's actually no big campaigns on teaching the community at large. And I mean... As many people that know CPR should know how to be aware and prevent suicide. So there's a massive need in the community for people like Ross and, um, and Erica and her husband and others to learn that those skills so that we can save lives, the same as we do with CPR. And the other thing that sort of sads me sometimes too, Neil, is that I mean, you know, God forbid, inverted commas, if somebody had chest pain now, we ring triple zero and we get ourselves a, a unit worth thousands and thousands of dollars called an intensive care ambulance. We get two or maybe even more paramedics. It's taken thousands of dollars to train to look after us. We're then taken to an incredible facility. If someone has a broken heart through depression or anxiety, we're struggling to get them assistance, we're struggling to get them a bed we're struggling for people to be aware of their totally emotional and cognitive devastation and so we need a, and we've got our wonderful mental health teams at the moment but again they're restricted and uh, we've got a lot of psychologists and social workers and nurses again but restricted, we need a, if you like a psychological and emotional retrieval service that can come and assess people. I know the ambulance and police do that, but we need the community to ramp up, Neil, in getting to know this knowledge.
0: Our special guest this hour, former Chief Inspector Gary Raymond, who served in New South Wales. His biography is called Top Cop, and there's a Top Cop 2 that's been released this year. Our talkback line open on 1800 316 316, asking your thoughts. Do police get a bad rap from time to time? Your thoughts on Australian policing does... Policing and Christian faith make a good match. Well, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Gary, let's continue to take some calls. Let's hear from Tracy in Lonsdale in South Australia. Hello, Tracy. Welcome along to Twenty Twenty.
1: Well, thank you. Look, um, I just jumped on the radio uh, and heard the lady two um, messages ago, um, so I'm not. I feel like I might be a little bit off the track, but I just wanted to share this anyway. Um, she was talking about flashbacks, and I don't want to say that anything that I've experienced is anywhere near as traumatic as a lot of people on your um, you know talk back but um, recently um, I've been having dreams about being abandoned and it's something that I experienced years ago um, fear of abandonment and and I kept thinking why am I dreaming about this um, and because it's it's years ago and everything's fine and anyway I kept dreaming it kept dreaming it, and one day I thought what is going on why do i keep dreaming about a traumatic time in my life that is is, it's just not current anymore it's it's not a problem anyway so i I sat down and thought all right let's revisit it um do i need to deal with anything regarding the person involved no that's all it's all good now um do i need counseling i thought no i don't think i do and so then i just claimed the binding of satan from my mind and dealt with it spiritually um i haven't had another dream like it so I just want to throw that in if um
0: the power of prayer, Tracy.
1: Well, it's sort of you know making sure there's not a something that needs to be dealt with by talking about it or anything or dealing with you know anything and there didn't. so I thought all it can be now is Satan attacking me.
0: Uh, your thoughts, Gary Raymond, uh, on what Tracy's sharing. Yeah, thanks, Tracy. I think
2: um every emergency service worker or or, or, or those in the medical fraternity, and, and everyone out there has uh, flashbacks and dreams and nightmares, it's very interesting that, um, firstly, our brains are like a computer and they record everything. So, and then it gets put into a little spot, as I mentioned before, like a filing cabinet. Now, as we're talking now, we're thinking, we're reasoning, we're weighing up pros and cons, and that's our conscious. When we go to sleep, our subconscious which is like the night shift of our mind gets up and it uh, the conscious is asleep so all reasoning is having a rest and the subconscious they're just sort of ticking over the brain while we're asleep till we get up and the conscious come back on day shift and what happens is that because they're not very well educated and they're not real good the subconscious run around your brain and say oh there's a there 's a little snippet from ten years ago oh there 's another one from uh, yesterday, and there 's another one from twenty years ago and It comes together in a quite difficult d v d and then the special effects team come in now you and I know that um, for example, you know blood is just a red substance, but the special effects team in your cognitive area of that subconscious says. I'm going to put some worms in that, or I'm going to put some mould, or I'm going to make it green instead of red. Then all of this comes together, totally irrational, in a DVD, and then plays back in your mind. That's called a dream or a nightmare, if you like. And then you're sort of asleep. And then when you wake up, the subconscious, they're off shift, and the conscious comes on. And you say, wow, phew, wow, that was a bit, uh, a bit awful. And you're right too the answer for that is number one talk about it which you're doing Tracy thank you for that because there'll be a lot of people listening that have nightmares dreams or intrusive thoughts and that's normal for the events that's happened in your life and you've done the right thing you've spoken and you second you've spoken to God about it and you said Lord whatever this is I'm giving it to you and um, in one Peter five seven which is one of my favorite passages tracy i don't know about you Mm -hmm. it says cast all your cares upon him as he cares for you now that's an order that's not a he didn't say look if you feel like it or if you perceive like it or if you believe he says straight that's like me giving an order to a young police officer do this go there don't do that hide there he says order this is an order from our commanding officer the Lord God himself he says and I'll preempt he doesn't say this but it says I'm ordering you and then it says cast all of your cares upon me as I care for you therein lies what you've done Tracy and what I do and hopefully many do any care that they have where it's a care of a dream a nightmare a traumatic event that you remember and have flashbacks to, hand it over, give it to him, and he'll care for you. Now, remember, i said before, if you were listening, uh, Trace, I don't know if you are on the air at that time, our memories are tattooed on our brains so we can't forget. But what we do is what you did exactly, and we cast that and talk to God about that memory and to take the sting out of it. Lord, stop the effect on me today. I can't erase it. Until I be with you, then it's erased. But Lord, help me to do that. And thank you for doing that, Tracy, and showing us all how to rely on him.
0: Tracy from Lonsdale in South Australia, great to hear from you. Let's hear from Paul in Kalimna West in Victoria. Hello, Paul. Welcome along to 2020. Yeah,
5: Yeah, thank you, Neil. Uh, First of all, before my question, Gary, I just wanted to thank you for your uh, ability and braveness to uh, pray for people. Uh, uh, I'm someone who comes from a very rough background, uh, rock and roll singer and so forth, and I was so pleased with uh, Jesus accepting me as I was and yeah. saving me. I regularly now uh, share the love of Jesus with people and draw a beautiful track that says, Jesus loves you with a big heart mm. and so forth mm. gospel. Now, uh, people always say to me, boy, you're so brave, I can't do that. But perhaps you could address that because I know... It, I more think that I want them to know how beautiful Jesus is and how he died from how he loves them. So I regularly do that. That's not my question. That was just a statement. The question, just quickly, is with the current ice epidemic on at the moment, Gary, uh, do you think we need to be doing more or something else uh, to try and alleviate that? And if any of us are confronted by a, a crazed ice addict, a very aggressive ice addict, is there anything you suggest that we should do? Well, not do.
2: Good on you, Paul, mate. Uh, Praise the Lord that you have surrendered to him and then you're speaking to others uh, about him because um, it's interesting too, people say often to me, Paul, they say, oh, I haven't witnessed to anyone in a long time and I say, well, I'm really pleased about that because my Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the witness, not you. He actually witnesses through us. And so yeah. if we go out there thinking, I'm going to be a witness today, then we need to stop and just say, no, sorry, Lord, I repent of that, I, but you're going to be the witness today through me. And, um, and just coming back to the ice, um, anyone who's born again doesn't touch illegal drugs. No. So the definitive answer is for us to witness to people and even young people to prepare them to say No. Because with heroin, it takes a bit to get onto that—you physically, cognitively, and emotionally—you've got to try really hard to get onto a heroin. And once you get onto it, of course. But ice, even people having their first hit, there's a body chemical response which they'll never forget. But keep in mind that after a while, it stops to be a thrill, and it becomes medication. Their body screams out for it, not their mind anymore. So it's not having a high anymore, it's taking medication that I need for my body. Diffusing aggressive behaviour, Paul, in an ice addict, is very difficult. The best way is to run, get out of the environment that you're in with them, don't try and physically engage with them, don't try and disarm them if they've got a weapon because you'll get killed or hurt in the meantime, because often when people wrestle with ice addicts, suddenly the ice addict turns from offender into victim, thinking, Irrationally that they're going to hurt them, but not rescue them, but hurt them. And so we've got to evacuate, just maintain visual, ring triple zero, and get the cops over there and then negotiators and equipment to subdue the person and get them to some medical help first up. And so... I'm, I'm
5: thinking the, more in terms of what the government should be doing, uh, Gary, in regards to it to help overcome it. Well, I think that comes right back to home, Paul, where parents
2: should be telling their kids at an early age, oops, I should call them children. My darling wife Michelle's a primary school teacher, and she said, Kids are baby goats. I teach children. So, <laughs> uh, children need to be taught early in their age, Paul, to say no. And actually, what I do is suggest to people that with, their, with their children and grandchildren, they do little rehearsals. And they say, even from age eight, and say, look, re- pretend I'm a drug dealer and uh, and they you might get some powder, white powder, a little bit of flour or sugar or something and say, I've got some drugs. Um, here, you try these, they're really good. No, I'm not trying them. I'm going away, I'm leaving you. I'm going to tell somebody and off they go. So that rehearsal, time and time again, the police do rehearsals on on a lot of things and role plays and simulations because we want to ingrain that behaviour so try that with with your children everybody is to have little role plays each, you know, every six months or so and teach them how to say no but good on you Paul for serving the Lord and it uh, doesn't matter what our backgrounds are mate we're a brand new creature in Christ the old goes, the new comes, doesn't it mate?
0: Thank you, Gary. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We have some time for some very quick calls. Uh, you might like to uh, make your comment or call or question fairly quick here. Let's hear from Jonathan in Perth. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome along to 2020. Yes, thank you. Jonathan, what's your comment or question? <laughs>
4: yes, I, as I listen to the topics, what really encourages me to talk is that I know that what the speaker was talking about, committing suicide and all these things, it depends uh, uh, due to people are not open-minded here, especially when I arrived here in 2005. I see people are always by themselves, they don't communicate with people. The, you, you can't talk to any person listening to you, even when you go on the train, get on the bus, Anywhere you go, people with a, with a cell phone or they call mobile phone here, they're based on it. They are not talk to any person.
3: So, also people that keep
4: their life secret in there. You can't communicate it. How will you know their problem? Okay.
0: Before Often people go, are quite isolated. A uh, quick comment from you, Gary Raymond, on what yeah, Jonathan's sharing.
2: Thanks, Jonathan. You're so right, mate. There's nothing worse to do to a person than rejection, isolation, Isolation or ostracization, nothing worse. So it's up to us as Christians to reach out to people and ask them how they are and have a good listen to them. So reach out and ask. That's the thing,
0: Jonathan. Jonathan from Perth, thanks so much for your input today. Let's hear from Robin in Mount Morgan. Hello, Robin. Welcome back to 2020.
3: Yes, hi. <laughs> this, is, this is my expert area, suicide, because it's been a, um, a problem with me for since I was a teenager. I've had... Um, tendencies but I've also been a psych nurse but um, I want to commend Gary thank you for your um, compassion and um, like when I was nursing as a young teenager and being suicidal myself I was shocked a lot of the nurses, it was a common thing. They would say, oh, I hope he make any any attempt of suicide. They would say, hope he does a better job next time and things like that. It was just shocking. Mm. But, um, but I would say apart from, um, I'm trying to be quick, apart from many yeah. uh, sudden stresses that happen to them, a loss of a love or whatever like that, very often there is a foundational thing, which it was with me. And um, so when people are not saved and whatever, if they haven't had a, a basic a uh, real loving family to 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 um make them feel a, you know a sound person then there's always a soft spot there and um anything happens in their life and and that tends to mm. trouble them and the other yeah. thing is uh the demonic area where um a lot of people just don't um don't understand whatever um i i actually um as i said i had suicidal tendencies all through my life but Mm. Um, it became a demonic thing after I'd been working in an Aboriginal reserve. And I only just made that connection again recently when somebody was uh, talking to me um when I was there, there were so many things happening, so many wrong things. Like it was a, an Aboriginal reserve where they bring mm. Aboriginals from all lots of places. And so there's a lot of bad spirit there. And it was always in amongst the teachers as well. And um, Robin, uh,
0: some good points there. I'm going to have to cut you short. and uh, But thank you so much, Robin, for your input today here on 2020. Time perhaps for one last call. Ruth is in Brisbane. Hello, Ruth. Welcome along to 2020. You'll need to be very quick.
3: Yes, Um I was just saying that I think a lot of people suffer with loneliness and um, it's Jesus that we have to turn to. It's Christ and our Father in Heaven who loves us unconditionally. And we have to show that as a church, it's like a rescue mission, um, that people everywhere are, are despairing and despondent and they need the love of Jesus Christ. And we are God's hands and feet.
2: Yeah, look, we are I Ruth. Like I agree it. with that. Yeah. And as Robin said before, a lot of it's our, our brain chemistry and circumstances. There is a demonic component in some, but you're right too. So we need to reach out, Ruth, don't we? And um, and same as Robin's reaching out with her her circumstances.
0: Ruth from Brisbane, thanks so much for your call today. And uh, just only a few minutes until we've got to go to the news, but I'd love to just hear a, an in a nutshell. Uh, your own story, Gary, of how you came to know Jesus Christ. I know you didn't come from a a happy home and there was challenges there, but uh, share very quickly with us.
2: Yes, sure. Look, um, I'm blessed to be here because the same person tried to murder me twice, and that person was my own mother. She was pregnant out of wedlock with me in a a, um, termination clinic to abort me, and she was just about to walk in, and she turned around and ran out of there and saved my life. And uh, my dad and, and her married in a shotgun wedding, and then I was born. But my dad was, uh, had a bit of a problem gambling and drinking, and we were poor, and things got worse. Uh, and they wanted to have a daughter, and so four other sons were born. So they tried so five boys, but things weren't real good. My mother then, for the second time, tried to kill me and my brothers. She planned a murder-suicide because things were really, really bad and her depression was too much. She got everything ready, but on the night before she was going to kill us, she went to a Salvation Army meeting. And there, due to some incredible words from uh, Brigadier Spillett, who, who said, God is telling me there's someone here who needs Christ and needs healing, as well as forgiveness of your sin. And secondly, he said, whoever you are, you need to to do it because it'll be too late for you and some others tomorrow. And so she knew God was touching and she was born again. My dad later, when she told him what she was going to do with the murder-suicide, he gave his life to Christ. And um, our whole family changed amazingly. So... I went to Sunday school and youth group and had a christian background and, and cutting it short, I came to Sydney and I just saw the bright lights of Sydney. I was born in Newcastle and uh, started to go out there and 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 do stuff to gratify and The Bible says that there is pleasure in sin, but only for a season it doesn 't last well, I had a you know bust ups and but I was a hero on one side, yet my life was a mess on another side and Around November 1979, I was just, again, a hero in police rescue. But my private life, my relationships were busted. I was starting to get loaded up with the sights, sounds, smells and touches of policing. And I was wandering around. My uh, wife at that time had left with another bloke. I was suicidal myself, thinking of it because of the emptiness and the pride and saving face. And guess what? Those beautiful days of Sunday school, where Jesus told me what He did on the cross, came back to me. Gary, tough cop, just fell on the lounge room floor.
0: You gave your life to Christ. Gave my life to
2: Christ and was born again. Gary,
0: I wish I had a lot more time to explore this. Thanks so much for being with us today on 2020.